So I told Pastor Regina that I would finish up chapter 5 of the book of James, and then next week, God willing, she will start either, she'll either do a recap of the entire five chapters or begin a new series, or maybe both. So we'll be letting you know on our social media, phone tree, that kind of thing, so you'll know what to study or where to be looking ahead. But in this particular scripture, James chapter 5, we begin reading in verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter, and you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also, be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, for anything else you fall under condemnation. And this is probably the most well-known of our James verses coming up in verse 13. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. I think one scripture says confess your faults to one another. You may be reading that. Um, and you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is effective. Elijah was a man of, with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore fruit. 
My brothers, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, just as a little summary, what I have learned from Pastor Regina from chapter 1 all the way up until now with what I have been able to follow along, we read that James is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you all remember that? That's one of the very first, first things she told us in introducing James to us. Now, James was a very common name in the first century. And a lot of people say, well, how do you know who this James really is? But all scholars pretty much agree after studying all the manuscripts, all the historical documentation that is at hand, that this is the James who is the half-brother, we would say, the brother of our Lord Jesus, who did not believe in the lordship of his brother until after his death and resurrection. It was upon his appearance to his brothers and sisters, according to the Bible, from the dead, that they believed upon him. You know, they, how many of you know that sometimes the family is the most difficult people to really have confidence in you and to believe you, right? Because they know us better than anybody else. And the people in church know us on our good days when we're smiling. But the people at home who live with us know us all too well, right? So uh, they didn't believe in Jesus until after his resurrection. But however, he became the first pastor of the Jerusalem church. And so it is pretty well accepted that, therefore, this is who the author of James is, just so you know. And how many of you know how James died eventually around the year 62 AD? Do you know? He died by an angry mob of scribes and Pharisees outside the temple. He was martyred. He was stoned to death. He was murdered for the preaching of the gospel. That was about 30 years after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, of his brother. So by this time, Pentecost had already been established, and the, the church, when we say the church in Jerusalem, was like the mother church. And this is to whom James is writing. The, before this, uh, the people who followed Jesus, the people who were in certain places like Antioch, uh, people who had become disciples and were seekers were often known as the people of the way because Jesus said, I am the way. So that's how they uh, identified him. But he actually, uh, James became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And it must have been a huge congregation because on Pentecost, 3,000 people were added in the same day. Remember that? And then another time, 2,000 were added. And they were added daily, such as were being saved. And so James was the pastor of that mega church. However, they didn't meet in one great big building like mega churches do today. They met in house churches, in small groups. And you'll read that throughout the book of Acts. They went from house to house with the breaking of bread and fellowship in the early church after Pentecost. So there were many, many multiple small groups. And one thing that has happened in America, particularly in the Western civilization, 
after COVID is that the era of mega churches is now beginning to decline. You're not seeing so many huge multi tens of thousand member congregations, but the, the world is going back much more to very small house groups, prayer meetings, Bible studies, what you used to call cottage prayer meetings, and small groups like we have here at Shades of Grace today. Okay, so that's how, that's how it all began. So when we say James was the pastor of the early church, even though it was being added to daily, they were also being dispersed on a regular basis. They were being persecuted, and probably it's been like shades of grace. We might baptize 10 people one year, and that year 10 people die. You know, we baptize 10 and then 10 die, and so you stay pretty much the same. Or we baptize 10 and 30 move away out of town. See, they were constantly living and dying, but they were also in transition of being under persecution, dispersed to the many uh, corners of the earth. So, but however there was the congregation, James oversaw that as the pastor. So keeping all of that in mind, um, let's see here what I have for you today. Okay, um, remember, and when we read this, I had to reread it again because you would think that maybe James is talking to a group of sinners or to people who didn't know the Lord when he starts out in chapter 5 and calls them rich and says to weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. But he's actually talking to the church. He's talking to the Christians. But how many of you know when we come to Christ, we're like the little babies. Paul talks about that in the New Testament. We have to drink the sincere milk of the word before we can understand the strong meat of the word. And so it's just like a little baby. You know, I remember years ago at a covered dish thing in a church, we were having a, a meal outside and they had a little tiny baby and I was uh, trying to stick a chicken leg in the baby's mouth and I got smacked. And they said, you can't do that. And I said, why? Because it loves sucking on a pacifier. I didn't know why it wouldn't like to suck on a chicken leg, you know. But sometimes we strangle people with too much truth at one time. We have to learn at our own pace, don't we? Not one of us is on the same level spiritually or intellectually, and we learn on different levels, you know. So uh, James here is talking to a certain group of people who haven't yet grown in faith enough to realize that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And he said, your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, and your gold and silver has corroded as testimony against you, and it's going to eat your flesh like fire. And so he's rebuking them, isn't he? He's really telling them that uh, material wealth here has become, in their minds, worth more than the spiritual health. And so we have to keep that in mind. As I preached a few weeks ago, what shall it profit a person if he or she gains the whole world and yet loses their own relationship with God? So, and he's saying basically that people, even in the church, can use evil means to gain more for themselves. And we hear that, we read about that, we see how that happens at times 
in, especially in the age of some of the televangelists who, you know, maybe drive, I start to say drive, fly in $70 million jets and, and all of this. I'm, I'm not here to go into all of that. But Jesus uh, often said, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but I, the Son of Man, have no place to lay my head. And if Jesus were walking the earth today, I believe he would be among people like we are walking in the streets today. He would not, I believe, be flying a jet around the world and, you know, wanting people to bow down and all of that. So that's another sermon for another time, I guess. But he was letting the people in the church know that they didn't have their priorities right. Riches game corruption. The wealthy clothes, the designer jeans, the expensive garments are moth-eaten. And there's silver and gold is being corroded. And if it isn't corroded, somebody stole it from you. You know, Jesus said, Jesus himself said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where the thieves do break through and steal and where the moth will eat. So you'll read, when you're reading James's words, you will read a lot of similarities to what his brother Jesus had said. And maybe he had never read that because in those days they didn't have Bibles like we have. They, the only way they knew was to either know the person who preached the sermon or to pass it down by taking it home to your husband or to your grandchild or to your neighbor and then let them pass it down from one person to the next. It was called the oral tradition. That's how the gospel was spread for at least a couple of hundred years after the day of Pentecost. So they were remembering how it had been said and the language that was used. And if you notice, this sounds an awful lot like what Jesus said, doesn't it? And so his brother, no doubt, even though he didn't believe in him until after the resurrection, had heard him preach and remembered how he had explained the kingdom of God through parables and stories such as he did. So James is saying these riches have no lasting value and they'll bring judgment. James follows the Lord in declaring the folly of heaping up treasures on earth. And Jesus talked a lot about that again in Matthew 6 and in other scriptures. He warns us. He says, sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. And we pray, give us today our daily bread. Okay? And sometimes we worry too much about tomorrow when God already has a plan of putting it together. Amen? So we have to trust God one day at a time, and we get in trouble when we try to move ahead of God. You know what happened to the manna in the Old Testament when God sent the manna down from heaven during the night? They were told to pick it up every day, every morning. And some of them got greedy, and they thought, I'll, I'll get a double dose today, and I'll sleep in tomorrow. Guess what happened? It had worms in it, and it was rotten, and it stunk. Only on the Sabbath day were they allowed to gather enough, you know, to, to do them uh, the day before the Sabbath and the Sabbath. So that's basically what James is trying to say, that he sees the injustice that are put upon the poor people and the everyday people in the church by evil people within the church. And that has happened. Remember, in the church in um, the book of Acts, 
And you know, we don't read a lot about who the pastor was in the book of Acts, but it is James here as he writes this letter later. But remember, he had a lot of problems in the early church too with the people taking the food and they weren't given the widows who were poor what they needed for the day. They were withholding from one group and giving to another. So he's addressing these issues. And this is a problem of the heart. And people really don't change, do they? Does people's nature change? We're human beings. And as the song says, remember I'm human, for humans forget. Remind me, remind me, dear Lord. <clears throat> okay, in verse 6, the just man does not resist the cruel. The cruel rich man is warned by the testimony of the poor. And he says, we do this while we're waiting for the coming of the Lord. Now, you might be listening to this, and you say, well, I've heard all my life that the coming of the Lord is drawing near. Have you heard that all your life? How many of you know that even those in the first and second and third century uh, 1,800 years ago, even uh, longer, ever since the church has begun, people have believed that the coming of the Lord is at hand. But how many of you know the Bible also says that with God, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So God doesn't count time as we count time, but the important thing is that we wait for the coming of the Lord. We need patience. How many of you say there's some days I really don't have enough patience? Anybody? You know, and, and that does happen, and I guess we train ourselves. Most of my life, most of my life I've been a loner. I've spent a lot of time in the church doing ministry, and I just don't have to answer to anybody, you know, except the Lord, always the Lord. And the bishop, I always answer to the bishop. I do, and I always answer to my district superintendent. I do, and I always answer to Steve Wells and to Jimmy and to the rest of you, you know. Uh, it, it's a chain reaction process. But, you know, I find myself, if I am in a place where I'm supposed to be meeting somebody, and I'm always looking at my watch like, where are you? You said you'd be here at 2 o'clock, you know. And, like, it's 30 seconds after, where are you? <laughs> It, patience is a virtue, and we need patience. Don't pray for patience. I heard a preacher say one time, when you pray for patience, get ready, because you're going to get tribulated on. <laughs> and when those tribulations start coming on you, then uh, you know, it causes us to stop and reevaluate our situation. So patience is necessary, but we wait for the coming of the Lord and look for spiritual fruit. Now, we don't go around judging other people for the fruit they have. And I think I told you this story, but there was a young man who I knew, uh, known years ago, who had been in Vietnam, been through a very traumatic situation, and he began coming to the church, and people were afraid of him because he just had so many mental issues, dealing with the PTSD and all of this. And one day he stood up in a church in an evening service and he said, I just want everybody here to know that you probably have looked at my life and you've figured I don't have any fruit. But he said, I want to tell you, I have fruit 
It's just green. It's not ripe. And I've never forgotten that. And that's why we need to be patient with people because everybody's fruit isn't hanging as low on the tree as somebody else's, right? Sometimes it's not ready to pick yet. Sometimes it's not even in full bud. So we can't judge a person and we can't go... Somebody said, well, the Lord told me not to judge, but I'm a fruit inspector. And you can't be that either. We're, we're called not to judge and not to be a fruit inspector. Only God has the authority to do that. So we wait for the coming of the Lord and are patient in doing that. Okay, then we move over to, let's see here. Let's move to verses maybe 7 or 8 and 9. Uh, let's see how we do that. I guess we've talked about that. Well, let's do this. He says, verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. Did that strike anybody's nerve? <laughs> Does that hit anybody home? Do not grumble against one another. We all grumble at times. I mean, the Israelites grumbled in the wilderness. You know, Moses had to intervene for them because they made the Lord so upset that he was going to just wipe them out. And Moses said, if you wipe them out, wipe me out too, Lord. And the Lord had mercy. But let's not grumble. And uh, because when we grumble, it says we will be judged because the judge is standing at the door. And then when you're suffering, have patience in that and realize uh, of the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord many years ago, how that we consider them blessed who remain steadfast. Now, do you want, know what the word blessed means in the original context, among other things, is happy. You want to be happy? Then follow these instructions from the Lord. Be blessed. Be happy by remaining steadfast in the Lord. Have you ever met people in the church that it didn't matter what was going on, they still maintained some kind of a sense of a smile? Uh, they never seemed to let it get them down and destroy them. They always stayed just a little bit above the problems that they were going through. And we can only do that through the grace of God. But God will help us to do that. And the prophets did that because many of them were stoned to death. And they did not deny the Lord even as they were being stoned. And so that's what James is saying in testimony of them. The prophets recognize that personal suffering may be a part of the Lord's purpose for our lives. Jesus said, unless you suffer with me, you cannot reign with me. Okay, so those who endure are rightly respected and we follow their example of patience. Then what's it say in verse 12? Above all, in other words, above everything else, he says, he draws uh, attention to this thought and another thing that Jesus had said, don't use oaths, let your word be enough. Do not swear by the name of the Lord. Remember one of the first things that God in the Old Testament said to the Israelite people, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in an unworthy way, and you shall not swear. Don't swear. You know, I grew up in a culture and in a time when the people around me 
would say, well, I swear to, and I don't, I don't want to use the name, but the name of the Holy One. And, and people do that all the time. Well, I swear to, you know, and I don't like that. God doesn't like that. We need to not use those kinds of languages. Let your yes be yes, yet let your no be no. You know, the name of God in the Old Testament was so holy that there were only certain places and times that you could mention the name of God. Now, consider that the Hebrew or the Aramaic alphabet or whatever language they were speaking in centuries past, put it in the context of English, okay, ABCs. And think of the things that are vowels. Can anybody name what the vowels are in the alphabet? I thought it was E-I-E-I-O, McDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O, A-E-I-O-U, and sometimes y. W and Y. Is it sometimes Y? Is W in there too? No, okay. See, y'all are on the ball today. All right, but you, if you were to spell the name in their language and write it down on a piece of manuscript or whatever you were writing it on in that language, you might put the name, so let's do it in the sense of English. J easy enough, uh, J-E-S-U-S, -S, Jesus, okay? You would, you would spell the name Jesus in that language, and then you would leave a blank for the letter E. Why? Because that's a vowel. And then you would put S, you would put another blank because that's E, which is another vowel, and S. They would not write the name of the Holy One in its entirety, they would leave uh, space between. In the same way with the name of G-O-D, God, or Jehovah, or however you want to name that in the Old Testament, uh, wherever there was that letter that was comparable to a vowel, now they didn't use the same alphabet, so it wasn't A-E-I-O-U, but whatever it was in their culture, they would not write the entire name of God. That's how holy the name of God is. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And so we constantly pray. You know, when I was young, growing up, I grew up around people who cursed and made up. I mean, they had more words than I've heard of before. <laughs> and I've heard some of them on the streets of Kingsport, but there's one or two I've never heard anywhere since I grew up. I mean, we had people who just loved to cuss. And, you know, it's like a computer uh, you get it ingrained on the hard drive of the computer, you can type something else over it, but you can still go in and you can find that which is ingrained there. Have you ever been in a situation, maybe that really hard, hard situation, and maybe something escapes through your lips that you haven't said in 40 years, maybe something really bad, and it, it was hidden back in there? That's what Jesus said from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And so that's what James is talking about here. All through these five chapters that Pastor Regina has been talking to us about. Okay. Um, remember, the, this was, let's let the um, emergency people go by. And I always say, Lord Jesus, whoever's having trouble, we ask you to have mercy. Lord, bless the responders and bless somebody in need, we pray. Amen. And I pray that anytime we are ever in a situation of need, that somebody would stop and pray for us when they hear that going on. Okay. So let's move on then um, 
to verses, um, uh, well, 12 there. Above all, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any other oath. And lots of times I tell people this very thing, let your yes be yes and your no be no, because anything more than that becomes of evil. So we have to keep that in mind. Okay, now 13. I believe that this is probably, again, the most well-known and remembered passages of Scripture found in uh, James. Is any one among you suffering? I guarantee you, if you get a room full of people together, there's at least one in the group that's suffering in some way. They may not talk about it, but there's all kinds of suffering. There's physical suffering. There's emotional suffering suffering, there's anguish of soul, there's all kinds of ways that we hurt and we suffer. He says, let him pray. And prayer is simply a sincere desire of our heart toward God. Did you know you could pray without ever saying a word? You can pray in your soul. One of the greatest prayers of the New Testament is in the Gospels when the Apostle Peter was singing, he was trying to walk on the water and he started to sink. What was the prayer he prayed? Three words. What was it? Lord, save me. That word save means deliver me, help me. Lord, save me. If you were on the water and you were starting under, I doubt you'd have time to say that much, right? But, but he did. He, maybe he went down slowly. Since he was walking, maybe he just kind of took slow motion down. I don't know. But God knows the heart. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit will intercede with us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And sometimes our prayer life might just be nothing but prayer and crying and weeping and just wailing before God. Because God knows what that means. And that's okay if you, have to, if you need to do that. Is anybody cheerful? What do you do when you're cheerful? What's he say in your Bible? What do you do when you're cheerful? Verse 13. Huh? Sing praise. Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. We keep oil here all the time. I have been in a couple of churches over the years where they had great big gallon bottles of olive oil that they bought at the... Walmart or somewhere, and they try to anoint with that. And when you get somebody up here, especially uh, one of these preachers that really likes to rub it on thick, I mean, they'll just turn it up and pour it on you. You know, in the Old Testament, when they anointed the prophets and when they anointed the people in the Old Testament, they literally turned the big vial. Now, they had, what, what do you call it? Like, uh, you remember the big longhorn sheep, how they got the big, big horns? And they would clean all of that out, take all the inside of it out, and then they would put a cork in the end of it and seal off the end. And that's how they would carry it around with the strap. They would, instead of having a bottle, they didn't have plastic bottles or anything like we have now. I guess they'd be drinking iced tea and doctor enough out of that too. But they would take it and turn it up, but they, would, they wouldn't take just a little. You know, when I anoint somebody, this is what I do. I just... Do, I usually put it on my hand like this, 
and then, you know, anoint in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, they would literally take the big bottle, whatever, up, and they would open it up, and they would pour it out on the person's head. Yeah, and they talk about when they anointed Aaron, remember that? And they said it ran through his hair, through his beard. I bet his beard was thicker than Daniel's. And I've seen Daniel with a really thick Santa Claus beard, right? But it would run through the hair, the Bible says through the beard, through the robes, and all the way down onto their feet and their sandals. They would pour that much on the head to anoint them. The oil, what does the oil represent? The Holy Spirit, yes. And even when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, and you go back through the Old Testament, the 23rd Psalm, thou anointest my head with oil. He's talking about the shepherd anointing the sheep. They would pour it out all over the sheep's head. He'd keep the flies off. He'd keep all the, if they were scratching their face on the thorns, it would bring healing. So the oil is, is represented as good blessings from God, the anointing of God, the Holy Spirit. And so he says here, if anybody is sick, call the elders and let them pray over him or her, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Okay? And there's no magic in the oil, but it's a contact point. It's an act of faith when we remind, us, remind ourselves that we need the Holy Spirit. Okay? And the prayer of faith will save the sick. The prayer of faith. And the Lord will raise him up. And guess what else it does? Other than healing the body, what else does it do right there? In verse 15, if he has committed sins, the sins shall be forgiven. Boy, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? That's a two-for-one deal. That's a buy one and get one free. I saw a sign one day, and I'm slow, you know, I'm a little bit dense. And I saw them advertising things on there, and it said BOGO. And I thought, what's a BOGO? They've got BOGOs on sale. And I thought it was bologna and onions or something. And then I realized it meant buy one, get one. Okay? Now, y'all laughing at it because you did the same thing, didn't you? Until you figured it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. This, the BOGO, you buy one and get one. Here you buy one and get two or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So whatever that means, you know what I'm saying. That's a pretty good deal. That's what I'm saying. Um, so you get physical touch and spiritual touch. And how many of you know, even if you're having a bad day, if you can get a good, what I say, dose of the Holy Ghost on you, it'll make you feel better physically, won't it? Even when that old tooth's hurting, you feel a little better when you're praising the Lord, right? Even it's for just a moment. Therefore, it's important in verse 16 that you confess your faults to one another. Does it, um, this one I've got says confess your sins to one another. What does yours say? Trespasses. trespasses, okay. Trespasses, sins, faults. Anytime we're in the wrong, anytime we know that we've done wrong, then the right thing to do is confess that to one another and pray for one another. Now the human nature in many people is to run away from that person rather because we don't like conflict. And I don't like conflict. 
But we are to go to that person, ask forgiveness, confess that we have fallen short, and pray then for one another. Think of the people that you dislike or the people that give you a hard time in life. You know how you can get along with them better and feel better about them? Pray for them every day. Make a list and pray for them. And I promise you, as you're praying for that person or those persons, you'll begin to feel a little bit of compassion and somewhere all that anger and angst will be gone or at least it will begin to uh, evade your feelings. So we are to confess our faults. The problem is in the church, and I've heard this said, and it, there's a lot of truth in it. Uh, people used to call, and I don't get that too much anymore, but it used to be in some of the church I used to be in. Well, Pastor, I'm just calling you because I want you to know that brother and sister so-and-so is having problems or this or that and the other. When it comes to find out, they were calling me just so they could share it, you know. Right. Rather than taking it to the Lord in prayer and taking it to the person in prayer, we take it to the wrong source. And the next thing you know, it's blown out of proportion and it's all over and it's a great fire that cannot be put out. So when we confess our faults, know who you're confessing to. Because it's said if a person will gossip about you behind your back, uh, or gossip about to, to you, to your face about somebody, they will gossip about you behind your back when you're turned from them. And there's a lot of truth in that. So be careful to whom you confess your sins or your transgressions. And pray for one another that we may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. In other words, the King James says it availeth much. Okay. Elijah. How many remember Elijah, the great prophet of God? Now we think of him as the great prophet because he called down fire from heaven. Oh, he raised the widow's son from dead. Uh, he dug into the flour barrel. He told the widow woman, keep dipping out the flour. And all she had was one little cup of flour, but they lived for like a year and a half on that one cup because every time she dipped in the barrel, there was still just enough for one more cake. He was a great man. He knew God and he knew how to speak for God to the people. But how many of you remember that part where he at one time was feeling so sorry for himself and depressed that he went into a cave on the top of the mountain and he said, God, I'm the only one left. Just kill me and let me go on to heaven. Do y'all know that happened to him? He was a great man. Elijah was a great man. But you read about it. He went into the cave and there he prayed and he listened for God to answer his prayer. And all of a sudden, he heard an earthquake outside the cave. And the trees were falling down and the rocks were rolling down the hill. And then he heard a great wind and it was blowing everything around. And, you know, it was a great turmoil on the outside. And it says God was not in any of those acts of nature. But then, as he was in that cave, just feeling as low as he could feel, what did he hear? Huh? The still, small voice. He heard the still, small voice of God. Nobody else could have heard it. How many of you know that inside a cave is probably the quietest place 
you could ever be if you're back in a cave. And you ever done any caving? You go back in there, maybe the only thing you hear is maybe a little drip once in a while or something, but it's quiet as can be. And you would think if there's even a whisper, what, what happens in a cave? It echoes, 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 echoes. Right? It echoes. He heard the still, small voice of God, and if there had been anybody else in that cave, I don't think they would have heard it because God was speaking just to him. And that's why we have to know God for ourselves, because some people say, well, I'll go to church and I'll expect the preacher to preach what I need to hear and let that be for me. And that sometimes will help. That sometimes is not much more than uh, the people who years ago, I heard the story of a family way back in the mountains and they had a whole bunch of children and neither man or woman could read or write. They were good people. They loved the Lord. But they, they couldn't read very well or write very well. They, they named all of their children Bible names until they ran out of Bible names that they could pronounce. James and John and Mary and, you know, Ruth, the, the names were gone. And finally they were, knew there was a little one coming to the house. They were going to have another baby. Just, what in the world are we going to name this one? So they said, well, let's just open up the Bible and maybe God will show us the name that we need to give it. And sure enough... He opened it up and he put his, have you ever done that? Just open the Bible up, close your eyes, open up the Bible and put your finger on a page and say, God, whatever that says, then that's what I'm going to do. You ever done that? Now, come on, who's done it? I've done it. Now, a time or two, it was good. Most of the time, I didn't want to do it. But they opened up, they put their finger down. Well, there's the name of our little baby. God hath provided his or her name shall be Pislam Siv. Pislam Siv. Guess what it was? No. Psalm 104 in Roman numeral C-I-V. Psalm P-S-A-L-M, that's Pislam. And Siv was C-I-4, Roman numeral. Pislam Siv. Y'all like that little story? Okay. I don't think it happened, but they tell it anyway. Uh, I never have met Pislam Siv. If there's ever a reason to get a name change, that would be it. We'd be coming to Jimmy to get a new birth certificate. Okay, so how in the world did I get on that? How did I get that out of this verse? God speaking. Well, anyway, God would know your name if it is, Pislam said. My friend John, you know John Nagy, who does all of our shopping for the church, and he's here when most people aren't here. But he's a disabled veteran, 100%, and he has, um, what's it called, uh, post-traumatic stress, and he doesn't deal with people. He doesn't deal with crowds at all. So, um, you know, we spend a lot of time together and have for years because he doesn't have any family at all. But we have a little friend who will be 104 years old in Indiana, and we visited her last year when she was 103, and she used to be, 50 years ago, an Avon lady, and she would travel over like seven, eight different states, uh, a manager for the company. And so we went to her door in Indiana, and I stood around the side, and he went up to the door, and he put on an old hat, and maybe that's where your hat went, and he put on some sunglasses and uh, pulled a coat up, and. He knocked on the door. He said, wait and see. She's not going to know me. She, now remember, she's 103. 
And he opened the door and he said, Avon calling. She said, well, John, get in here. He said, you remember? She said, well, I'd know you even if you had a dress on. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> that was so funny. I still laugh about that. So we're going to go visit her in a couple of months when she's 104. And she's been here to Shades of Grace. Some of you have met her. Her name is Rose. But anyway, I still don't know how I got all of that out of this. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but it must be working. But I was talking about Elijah and uh, knowing, his, knowing the voice of God. And he prayed, and it would not rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed, and it rained. And when he knew it was going to rain, he went out on Mount Carmel on top of the mountain, looking out over the Mediterranean Sea. And he saw a cloud, the Bible says, about the size of a man's hand. Hold up your hand. Now he's up on this mountain, he's looking way out over the Mediterranean Sea on a clear day, and he sees something about that big way out there. That doesn't look like much, does it? But he told the people, get down off of this mountain, for I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And all he saw was a little cloud that big. But he knew God's voice. And he knew that when he prayed, God heard his prayers. Do you know that God hears your prayers? The Bible says God hears your prayers. God hears your prayers. Don't put yourself down and don't say, well, I'm not worthy. You know, I'm not good enough. Um, I fell, fall short. That's what God wants to hear. Now, I don't have children, but some of you have children or have had children. And didn't, wouldn't it do your heart good if your little child came to you and said, Mommy, Daddy, you know, I, I really messed up. Will you still forgive me? Is it okay? Wouldn't that be? I heard some of you talking earlier about getting those switches when, when you were children so, and be, make sure you didn't get a bad one because you'd have to go re, make a redo. Uh, but isn't that a whole lot better when your child comes to you and says, you know, I've done wrong. Isn't that what the prodigal son did? Dad, I'm sorry. I, I really messed up. Can I come home again? One of the things that saddens me as much as anything I know, a young man, and I've not seen him. We've not seen, gosh, this kid for a long time. But there was a, a young boy that used to be in the streets for a couple of years. And it turns out we get to know all these people. He was from, uh, what's, what's the county where uh, Sneedville is? Hancock County. He was from Hancock County, and he came over here. This was when Charlotte was working at our desk several years ago, before the pandemic. And we had a, a line here for the folks to use, which was a dedicated outside line. And this boy would wander the streets. He was only 20 years old or something, and he was a little bit of limited um, means, if you know what I'm saying, as far as his emotions and things. He struggled so much. But one day he wanted to use the phone and I was standing there and I couldn't help but hear him say, Daddy, can I come home? And there was a long, long silence. Okay, Daddy, I love you. And hung the phone up and he started crying. Daddy won't let me come home. But Daddy, our Father God, loves us. And he will help us come home anytime we want to. Uh, there's an old country song that heaven's just a prayer away, right? Something like that. I'll have to see if Landon knows that one. 
Then we go to the last two verses here. My brothers, and I always add the word sisters because this means everybody. They were writing this in days of the ancient uh, first and second centuries when women still did not have the same uh, status in life. It was all about men and women walked three steps behind the man and women were considered property even if they were the wife. That's just how it was. It doesn't make it right, but that was the culture of the day. So they always wrote these things to the men, but it equally goes to the women. If any one of you wanders from the truth and brings somebody back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Isn't that great news? Sometimes we see people come in here and the Lord just maybe impresses us to get to know a little bit more about that person or be able to find out what's going on with you. Do you have family? Is there needs? You know, why are you here? What can we do for you? That kind of thing. So you never know when your care and your concern will touch the throne of God and touch heaven. Okay, so don't ever give up in your prayer life and then calling out to the Lord.